And then we have to go and ask ourselves, what did we really want our government to do to start with? And if we go back to the original Declaration of Independence, it, it's about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Come along on a journey toward wisdom. I want the pursuit of happiness, that is property. I want to be able to own property, have value, grow wealth, grow net worth, and I want that protected, and I want us all playing by similar rules. This is Seeker with Dave Jenks. I'm Matt Hayes. Dave, we have a lot to talk about with government today, but before we talk about what government does, I want to talk about what our role as a citizen is to government. What is that relationship that we have with our government? What should be our role? Well, we should be informed citizens. I mean, I think that was what the original founding father said in this country, that it, it took an informed citizenry to have a true democratic republic because it was government by, with, and for the people. So their view was, and I happen to share it, that government Government comes from the will of the people. In other words, we as citizens in a country empower our government to do certain things on our behalf. So the power comes from us, not from them. They're not like a king or a monarch or a tyrant where they call the rules. That's not supposed to happen. We are supposed to call it as citizens. So if that's true, then we'd better be informed. We'd better be paying attention to what's going on and we better be careful about it, not just rely on other people's words, but our own investigation. That's why I would say as a seeker, I've learned over time to be very skeptical of politicians, political parties, and government bureaucrats. I, I just think that that's what we've learned over time. I mean, I watched the flow. I was here for John F. Kennedy, you know, enamored with his style. Uh, didn't like LBJ or Nixon. Thought that Ford and Jimmy Carter were boring as could be, and then kind of got enamored by Ronald Reagan, and then flowed that through, and then, of course, Clinton and, and on into Bush and Obama. And, but here's what I found out, and it was really in the second term of Bush, I all of a sudden realized that it really didn't matter whether uh, it was a Republican or a Democrat, it was going to be big government. And big government was growing, 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 and it didn't matter which side of the aisle they were on. It was about big government. And so I've become even more skeptical and more cynical, close to cynical, really, because I'm, I'm very worried about what's going on now, uh, because I think we see the ultimate destiny of a government out of control. And so I think as citizens, we have to be informed. I think we have to pay attention. And then we have to go and ask ourselves, what did we really want our government government to do to start with. And if we go back to the original Declaration of Independence, it, it's about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that means that I want my government to protect my life against other people who would take it or hurt me or harm me, particularly other countries that might try and take over our country, like Hitler tried to take over Europe. Uh, I want my liberty. I want the freedom to choose and do things as I will, as I want, as I choose, as long as I don't take away somebody else's freedoms. And I want the pursuit of happiness. That is property. I want to be able to own property, have value, grow wealth, grow net worth, and I want that protected, and I want us all playing by similar rules in that regard. So that's what I want government to do, and as a citizen, we have to hold it accountable to doing that. I know we talk a lot about the skepticism and, and what it does and how it's changed, but what does it do that's good. What is government successful doing? What is it mainly designed really to do? It's a great question. And I think that there are certain things government has to do because we need to establish the rules we are all going to live by. And that takes a coordinated place to do that. 
a legislature and an executive. And so we want that government to set kind of the, the rules of the game. They're sort of like referees. I think governments are best when they are referees. They say, okay, here are the boundaries. Here are the rules. Here are the speed limits. Here are the ways you treat each other. Here's how you honor contracts. Here's how you tell the truth and don't defraud somebody. And that they set those ground rules up and they protect us from injury and harm and threats. I think they establish a consistent rule of law that applies to everybody. So there's not special laws for some people who have more advantages over another. And when there's an inequality of the application of law, let's just say in regard to race or sex or those other things that we've had to overcome in this country, then that we take steps to self-correct that and get an equality of opportunity and an equality of treatment under the law, then I think we need to define those things that we do in exchange. You know, you and I had a good discussion on economics, so I think that they have to define what currency is and how currency is established and what its value is. They need to define contracts. They need to provide a judicial court system where we can take care of our grievances against each other and also for those who are criminals. That is, for those who act against us, who steal from us or try and hurt us or whatever, there needs to be a a judicial system where we protect ourselves against those and we punish those who don't abide by the laws of the citizenry of the land. And then I think there are some places in large-scale projects where there may need to be an accumulation of money or wealth in order to fund that project that serves everybody, like big highways and big bridges, and in some cases, locally, things that protect us, like fire departments and police departments. But a lot of that, you know, can be taken care of locally, doesn't need to be done necessarily nationally, unless you're protecting yourself against the intrusion of foreign countries where they might try and come in and take over. And then, of course, you need, I think you need a centralized government to provide that sort of military defense. Of course, it's a question mark about how far outside of your boundaries you need to go to protect that boundary, and also what it is that protects our national interests. I think in this day and age, for example, of trading, there's a feeling that if another country is treating our vendors poorly, then we have to defend ourselves against that. I would say that kind of national interest. You have to be careful of national interest because you can justify all kinds of intrusions in other parts of the world, quote, on the idea of national interest. So I think that's kind of a dangerous one. But I think, Matt, those kind of things, and maybe as a collector of centralized information, where we share the research from various people, or we share information about census and demographics and other kinds of information that are collected at this national level, and we feed that back to others so that they can perform better. So we know what works in government, what government should be doing. What does government do really poorly? The key is whenever it tries to do anything that the free market economy can do on its own because that free market economy with people making individual choices and being served by those who are service providers or product providers in that economy is always more efficient and better. So I think that government is not good at planning. We know this with the communist five-year plans and the China, the five-year plans. All of this centralized coordination just clearly never got them going anywhere economically and hurt a lot of people. I mean, millions of people died because of that centralized control and that bad planning. So government is not good at centralized planning even though that's the myth we have. We think that because they're the government and because they're in a centralized position that they are going to coordinate and control things better than the natural flow of economic decisions and people's decisions. But it doesn't work that way because when they start to control things centrally, they get unintended consequences when they try and control prices or when they try and control what somebody gets paid or when they try and decide what kind of projects should be done at the local level. Typically, it goes sideways. Now, the other thing is they're not good at producing and servicing. So we know that. We go to the Department 
into motor vehicles, we get terrible service. We get better service at a McDonald's than we get at DMV because McDonald's wants to keep our business and other businesses want to keep our business. But the Department of Motor Vehicles has no, they don't care. They don't care. I mean, there may be employees who care and take their job seriously, but fundamentally, there's no penalty for not serving us. So we can't go down the street and get our license renewed at some other place. So I think that anything that has to do with servicing or producing anything, and then the final part that they do bad is inventing. Governmental agencies and bureaucracies are not creative at finding new solutions. They stick with what they have, they stick at what works, and they stick also with their own current inefficiencies. So there's no incentive in a government structure for them to get more productive and more efficient because there's no accountability or feedback system that allows them to do that. So I think anytime the government tries to take over any part of the economy, either by, either by regulation or actual ownership, they mess it up. It's interesting how they're good at some things and then not at others, because sometimes you look at that list and you think some of them might coincide or work well with each other. So why aren't they successful at doing those type of items? I think there's a natural set of dynamics that makes something better. One is that the sad one is that they can use force. So anything they want done, they can demand you do. I mean, ultimately, that's how governments work, force and coercion. If you don't abide by what they say, then they can take you out. They can put you in jail. They can take your assets. Because they can rely on force, it's just like even in companies. You know, if somebody, you know, can has the higher fire of you, then they can actually be very, very tough with you and not very good to work for. Whereas in other environments that are more free enterprise or franchise systems, there's a lot more of people needing to earn your respect and earn your following and they act better. So use of force is one. I think the other, the main one for me though, is lack of accountability. You see, if a business does poorly, it fails, it goes out of business. If it doesn't serve a product people want, people don't buy it. They don't have any income and they go out of business. If they do it too inefficiently, if they spend too much money, then they lose money and they go out of business. There's this automatic healthy feedback loop that exists in the world of business, in the, in the private sector, that is much more enabling and refreshing of performance. It rewards performance. And then the other part of that is that there's no sunshine laws or sunset laws in government. Agencies can go on and go on and go on no matter how poorly they're doing. In fact, often if they're doing poorly, they just say, well, we need more money. Oh, we'd do better if we had more money. Oh, we'd have same thing. That's for sure what's going on with our educational system. We spend more than anyone else in the world on education. Employment has gone up in our school systems three times higher than the actual enrollment. So we now have three times as many employees as we had 20, 30 years ago. And we haven't got any improvement in scores or feeling of satisfaction in our educational system. Why? Because it's government run. There's no feedback. There's no efficiency loop that says this is what's better. And then the other thing is there's no competition. If there's no choice, if you have to work with this government agency or you have to go to this school, you have to get your license renewed somewhere, then there's no incentive to perform better than somebody else. Whereas in a competitive free market environment, you have the choice and then the best ones succeed. And then the other part of that is it promotes creativity. And I think that's the final one that governments fail at. They don't promote creativity. Let's talk about the U.S. government. Are there underlying principles you could say that our government runs under? Or are there things that maybe we 
underlying principles that we may have even forgotten exist. I think there are, Matt, and I think that's one of the big concerns, those of us who are skeptics and who are seekers and want to have a good government that creates a civil society where there's the greatest amount of creativity and freedom of choice and and energy uh, and opportunity for everyone. And that is that, I mean, we were founded as a democratic representative republic. And it was the, they said, look, we need to be represented by leaders who are voted in. It's not a pure democracy and that we don't all vote on things. And even in some cases like the Electoral College, we want to be sure there's equal representation or at least adequate representation of states with smaller populations and that sort of thing. So we built in this idea of a democratic representative republic. Now, the principles of it are clearly stated in, of course, the Declaration of Independence, uh, where we kind of laid out the foundation of what we wanted, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but also in our Constitution. And the Constitution was set up very carefully because they had had experience with centralized monarchies and they had watched the governments in Europe and they knew that the danger in a government always is the concentration of power. And when you get the concentration of power, you get corruption, the collusion that goes on with that, and then you lose liberty, you lose freedom. And so our constitution was very much set up to limit how much power the centralized government could have. It set it up by the balance of powers between the judiciary, the executive, executive and the legislature, and then, of course, by the representatives from all over the country, and particularly the Senate, which represents equal, equally from all the states, because we were a federation. I mean, we're a, we're a union of states, and originally, those states had a lot of power. They were virtually like countries, and we were the united states of America, and we wanted to protect the rights of those states to operate differently from one another. And I think that we need to understand that there's a real power when you let local government work. One is you're closer to the electorate, so they can have a say. They can say what they want in their local community. They can say what they want taught in their schools, how they want the local services provided, and which ones they don't want and don't want to pay for. Then the same thing with states, that states can say, okay, here, we're going to make this legal. And another state may say, no, it's not going to be legal over here. And someone can say, well, we're going to have this program, welfare, let's say, or the way we're going to fund schools. And another state has it differently. And the original vision of that in the country was that that would allow a great creative mix In other words, we would learn, the states would learn from one another what worked best, uh, what worked effectively. And people, ultimately, the citizens would have a choice of where they lived. If they liked the laws and the principles in Utah better than the ones in Wyoming, they could move. They could go to that area and there would be that mobility. So I think that what we need to understand is that our Constitution originally was set up by people who had really studied government and said, the one thing we need to do is limit the power of the centralized government. We need to remember that. What are the downsides to having a centralized government? It's the concentration of power. It's just it. You know, when you have that much power, when you have 30, 40 projected to get up toward to 50 percent of the economy, all driven through the public sector, through government and the taxation that they do, uh, then you have it ripe for collusion, corruption, crony capitalism. I mean, people talk about us being a capitalistic country, but truthfully, we've moved way towards socialism, particularly in terms of the distribution of the wealth. It's taken from the people who have it. You know, 95% of the taxes are paid by the top 20%. So we have a very, very skewed tax base where that funds things for everybody else. With that centralized power, you get people who just want to be in that centralized power. I mean, that's what you get. We've talked about this before, but it's important for people to understand that people like President Dwight 
David Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex. I mean, he was from the military, so he knew that the military officers and the military establishment could collude, basically, with the private sector of military manufacturers for the benefit of both. The military would get more power and the manufacturers would get more funds, more money. And then, of course, the minute you have the collection of those funds, it's ripe for fraud and misuse and pure, pure corruption. We would be really surprised in this day and age to see how much in the healthcare system, how much in the military system, how much in all of our big government-run systems there is serious financial corruption. So that's the problem of a centralized government. Plus, you get those who love to be in that power, and therefore they love being the bureaucrats who, who run things and control things and have all of the power of their regulations. So what you and I know is that iron triangle that was identified back in the early 1900s, politicians, government bureaucrats, and special interest groups. The special interest groups, including corporations, fund politicians, so they get elected, and the politicians pass laws that are then empowered in the bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy stays in business because it wants to stay in business. It wants to have a bigger agency, more control, more budget, and so it does the regulations that the politicians are asking for that benefit the special interest groups uh, and give them an advantage in the economy. So dangers of a centralized government, and we're face-to-face with them right now, is that too much power and too much economics are concentrated in the hands of that centralized government. When people have discussions about government. Many times we throw around the political label so easily. You're, you're, you must be a liberal. You're a conservative. You're a socialist. You're a communist. You're a libertarian. What, whatever it might be. How does our politics, how do these political labels coincide with government? Are they hand in hand or are they two completely separate conversations? They're a combined conversation because the intelligent conversation here, which is what we're trying to have of seekers, it's not about, oh, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm I'm this, I'm a left-wing liberal, I'm a right-wing conservative. Although we throw all those labels around and they get misused and I think people identify with them and don't even know necessarily what they're talking about. So I would just say that simply, it kind of works this way. If you want the government to stay out of your personal life but to take redistribute money and spend a lot of money on social welfare programs, you're a liberal. If you want people to stay out of the money and let me keep my money, but you want to control people's behavior, you know, anti-drug, anti-abortion, anti-all that, then you're a conservative. If you want both of those things done, then you're what's called a statist. You're a person or maybe a socialist or a communist, but you want the government to control everything. And then the opposite end of that sort of pyramid or triangle, really, are libertarians who want the government out of their pocketbook and out of their bedroom. And they want to make their own, they want the freedom of choice to do any behavior that doesn't hurt somebody else, imbibe in any other drugs or whatever they want. They want the freedom to make those choices and they don't want you taking a lot of their money. They want a small centralized government with a limited role. So I would just say that it's good. It's important for people to just say to themselves, where am I on these issues? Do I want my government to control people's behavior, including my own? Do I want them to take a lot of my money and spend it and or redistribute it to other people or spend it on centralized programs? And so I think it's important to know where you are. I would say it comes down to this sort of dichotomy for me. I believe you either believe in individual responsibility and liberty, or you believe in statism. You believe the government is smarter and the government should do things on behalf of all kinds of people, and that makes you what I would call a statist. 
whether you're a liberal or a Democrat, you want the government to basically run things, or you are an individualist, meaning you, you're up for individual liberty. And for me, and I just want to put this in as kind of where I've come to, see, I prefer choice over coercion. I prefer cooperation over compulsion. I prefer collaboration over collusion. And of course, I don't want corruption. And to me, the biggest danger we have in a big, big centralized government is corruption. This is a lot of information we've taken in, so I want to end on this with one final question. What would you say is the most important principle we have to keep in mind when it comes to the role of government in our lives? I think the question is who decides what? For you, do you want someone else, a government agency, telling you what's okay? Do you want them limiting your choices of what kind of car you can buy, gasoline you can buy, food you can buy, where you can eat, where you can travel? And then who controls what? Who gets to make these decisions? Who establishes the social values? Who establishes the limits on personal behavior? Who decides how money is taxed and used? And then who decides how elections are run? And then who decides on who gets to be in this country? Immigration, right? Those kind of things. So the important thing here as a seeker, let me just say this, without trying to come with any political bias, but I do have a bias toward life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you can tell that. I want a smaller centralized government because I think the big centralized government creates dangers. And I would just say in kind of in conclusion, Matt, what we all have to be careful of is the myth of the untrue. There's a myth that just because because people work in the government that they have the public interest at heart. Well, they're, they're no different than anyone else. They have their own self-interest. We believe all people are basically self-interested. Some may be hurtfully self-interested. In other words, they want to harm other people, but everyone's self-interested. And so what you want to do is make sure that your government isn't rewarding people for not working, not contributing, and for the fact that they have more power and influence than somebody else. We want to even the playing field so that all of us as citizens have the greatest opportunity to live the kind of life that we want to live. Dave, this was a lot of conversation about the public sector, but what about the private sector? It's a great question, Matt. And I think that a lot of people in this day and age particularly really don't understand the power of the private sector of business and entrepreneurship to service. And I think that leads us to our next episode. To hear other episodes or to learn more about becoming a seeker, go to seekerthebook.com.